Good morning, church. As we jump in here, I am actually going to encourage you to grab a, a pew Bible this morning. There's uh, NIV Bibles in the pew right in front of you. And or you're welcome to open a Bible app on your phone if that's how you prefer to tag along. Or if you're one of the few, the proud that brings your Bible, Brownie points to you this morning, and all of us will know the joy of cracking an actual book together. We have some amazing volunteers running our uh, tech booth uh, this morning, but evidently it's a bit of a chore to create the slides, so I told them I would take it easy on them, and we will uh, all follow along together in the book. So because we're largely on the same page, we will be on page 1074, 1074 this morning. Well, if you asked various salespeople these days, they'd probably call me uninterested lately. Since we moved into our home about a year ago, I've begun experiencing door-to-door solicitors. Some of them are offering services that I'm, I'm interested in. But when that snowballs into multiple calls, multiple drop-ins, I- I'm good. Or uh, another experience lately, my wife and I were on uh, vacation a couple weeks ago in Hawaii, all thanks be to God. And we took advantage of a family timeshare situation. And of course, we had a wonderful week in Kauai, but we, we got roped into the whole timeshare presentation. And so I was a firm no in my mind from the start. And so what the heck, right? I'll, I'll waste a little of my vacation time listening to sales guys. And they tried their best, these poor sales guys, but they were never going to break me. Someone, another staff member, on the other hand, recently had a vacation in Hawaii, may have gone a different direction, so talk to him afterwards. But what I was interested in was the $250 credit to our room account that I would get to listen to somebody talk to me for 90 minutes. So cha-ching, right? (laughs) Paid for the kayaking trip. Boom. We are bombarded these days with sales pitches, whether it's salespeople, online ads, I read an article this week that said that because of digital media marketing, the average person sees six to 10,000 ads per day. Six to 10,000 ads per day. For those of us that live on the internet, this is no surprise. I also read that between 2015 and 2019, Google doubled its advertising revenue from $67 billion to $134 billion. We are bombarded. And so digital ad companies have gotten smarter, right? They use algorithms, analytics, to get the right things to flash in front of us at the right times as we navigate the internet. But whether it's an algorithm, whether it's analytics, or whether it's an actual salesperson in front of us, it seems to me that it's undoubtedly an art to detect interest, 
to detect receptivity, and to capitalize on that. In our sermon series, if you've been following us, in the sermon series we're calling A Great Opportunity, we're talking about disciple-making. We're talking about inviting others into a relationship with Jesus and life with him. And if you see where I might be going with this analogy, you may rightly be sitting there thinking that making disciples is by no means sales. And you're right. It isn't. Disciple-making is not a capitalistic exercise. It's a kingdom of God exercise. Another difference that's key is that disciple-making is interested in people, in their bearing God's image fully in the world, in their healing, in their wholeness, in their well-being, in them finding their ultimate calling and purpose. Capitalism, oftentimes, is interested in people only in so much as what they may consume, purchase, or buy, even if those things are essential or beneficial. But like in sales, in making disciples, in coming alongside of others in their spiritual journey, we are engaging in a partnership, in an art with the Holy Spirit of discerning receptivity, discerning interest. Because as we go about this work, we are inviting others into following Jesus, pursuing him, walking with him. Inevitably, we're calling people to new habits, to a new vision of life, a new purpose, a new identity. And so this morning, what of receptivity? What of gauging interest? In what ways does the Spirit produce this in our disciple-making? This morning, some of you are here and you're just exploring. You're not convinced. You're checking it out and we're so glad that you're here. And if that's you, I think this will still be helpful to you. Because contrary to what some may believe, we don't do this. We don't gather in a room like this, open the Bible to feel good about ourselves, to, to learn more rules for moral living. We do this so that we're reminded of the story of God and our mission in partnership with him in this world. And so if you're exploring, you get to observe that the picture that we paint for ourselves of our calling before God. Two things I think are clear in the text that we heard read this morning. Acts 16. The first is that God works in us and guides us to lead us to receptive people and places. The second is that God works in others to prepare them to be receptive and to create a fruitful response. So as we consider those two things, let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this story of Lydia. God, help us to embrace the calling that you have for us to make disciples. Lord, we know that this is your work, God, and so we are reliant on your spirit. But we thank you, God, that you give us your spirit in abundance and partner with us. So, Lord, as we turn to the scriptures, God, open us to whatever it is you have for us this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at Acts 16, we're jumping into the flow of Paul's so-called second missionary journey. Geography nerds like me love these types of texts because what we have here is regions and locations described here, and these are all in what was known in the ancient world as Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, if you will. And Paul, who was called as a missionary to the, to the Gentiles, he and his companions have had successful ministry experiences in Derby, in Lystra, but then they hit the wall. They hit the wall as they try to move into regions to the west and to the north on their travels. But as we'll see, it's a wall ordained by the Holy Spirit. The first half of our text here gives, I believe, an indisputable sense that God is interested in guiding us. That God is interested in guiding us to fruitful disciple-making. Notice with me in your Bible all the ways that the Spirit of God guides Paul and his companions just in the first few verses. Verse 6 says that they were kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. Then in verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter Bithynia. Verse 9, in a dream, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man begging him, to come help them. Right here, I think we have sort of the, the ideal for clarity, don't we? There's, there's this slammed shut door. There's hitting the wall. Some of you in your life of faith have hit the wall. But it's not just that. It is then a prophetic dream that propels Paul and his companions Four, that's sort of the ideal, isn't it? God, where am I to go? And he breaks through and gives us direction in this way. I was sitting at a pastor's roundtable recently, and we were exploring the same passage of Scripture. And the facilitator asked the question, how exactly do you think the Holy Spirit prevented them from traveling, from ministering, from preaching? And I thought that was an excellent question to ask of the text. Many in that circle of pastors said that the Spirit may have guided them through their, their circumstances. Maybe they faced violence. Maybe there were road closures. Maybe there were extreme weather conditions, sickness. Maybe just as a little band of disciples and missionaries, they weren't unified together. They didn't have a shared sense of destination, and direction. 
Maybe they were physically impeded from speaking, from preaching. Who knows? Or perhaps the Spirit guided them and closed these doors through dreams and visions, through prophetic words from within their own group, or or from believers in churches that they visited along the way. We can only speculate, but what we do know for sure is that the Spirit of God was closing doors. The Spirit of God was redirecting them. And as we're going to see, the Spirit was redirecting them to the first known conversion in Europe. Unlike Paul and his buddies here, most of us in this room will not spend our lives as traveling evangelists. Most of us will not be called to plant churches across the globe, maybe. Rather, most of us will spend the majority of our time in localized places, in workplaces, in schools, in a neighborhood, in places where you shop and recreate. But even with that difference, as we lean into the calling to follow Jesus and to make disciples, I believe that we can still trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit the guidance of the Holy Spirit to uh, lead us into new relationship opportunities, into new responsibilities, into new people and places to invest in. In this text here, I believe shows us the mystery and the sovereignty of God, that God does position us, align us in our purpose and in our mission. He sends us to people who will be receptive to hearing about our experience of faith and of Jesus. And so in disciple-making, the Holy Spirit guides us through circumstances as we seek to reach others for him. We may hit the wall. We may experience dead ends. People's Uh, those that we're seeking to reach, their life circumstances may pull them away from us. And so we come to terms with the fact that our window of time investing in them has come to a close. And the Spirit is redirecting us. The Holy Spirit may direct us by prophetic words which guide us to a people or to a place to invest in. The Holy Spirit may speak to us through dreams that God uses to cause us to pray for a particular person, place, or situation. The Spirit may speak to us through the community of faith, through a spouse, through a significant other, through a trusted friend, through a small group leader who says something to you that stirs you and changes your trajectory. One of the ways that I have clearly seen God's guidance for our family is in the journey toward the home that he provided for us. I know home buying is a bit of a sensitive topic lately, as for many, as prices soar, as inventory is low, as competition is high. But really, it's for all those reasons just named that I feel like God's hand was on us. 
about a year and a half ago, we desperately needed more living space. I had settled into my role here at the church, and we were looking for a new community to live in, and we started looking at homes. And as I tend to get, I was fairly locked in on certain communities, certain home designs, and that's what was guiding me. And my wife and I have slightly different preferences, and so there was that whole thing of a bit of a struggle to get on the same page, to, to sort of uh, think through all the options and all the preferences. And so because of that struggle, if you will, with my wife, we, when we finally found a home that we were both into, it wouldn't stretch us too much financially, the town felt right, we felt like this could be the one. We put a, together a darn good offer, and we were hopeful, but within 24 hours, we find out that they had taken another offer, $80,000 over asking. And so it had slipped through our fingers. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. It was a closed door. And so my wife and I, we rebounded. Our search and our preferences sort of loosened up, and we evolved and then a home in a community that, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't exactly looking for. It wasn't exactly high on my list. It wasn't the style of home that I would necessarily prefer. It came on our radar. And it was a private sale. And they had eight showings total over the weekend. Not the long line that we were used to seeing down the street and around the block. So we were excited put together our best offer, and we got the house. After we moved in and got settled and started building some relationships, it has become so evident to me that God has been at work in the lives of neighbors and people preparing them to respond to him in uncanny ways. And it's now our joy just to see that unfold as we trust him in that. In our experience, our prayer was that God would plant us where he wanted us. And as I said, that journey involved some disappointments, some redirection, but then an open door where we weren't even looking. In disciple-making, we trust the Spirit. We trust that he is working in our circumstances, moving us, aligning us, positioning us to go to people who are ready to receive him. But notice in verse 10, Paul and his companions have been listening. They've been sensitive to this Holy Spirit. They've been receptive, but they're willing to respond. Verse 10 says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This band of missionaries, they were stuck there in Troas, it seems, and they had hit the wall. They didn't know their next steps. You know, maybe we'll just hop down to Ephesus. Maybe we'll just make our way back home. But they trusted the dream immediately packed their bags and hopped the first ship to Macedonia. 
The point is God is working in us. God is guiding us. God is positioning us and aligning us to go to receptive people. Our job is to be tuned in and ready. But secondly, God is at work in others, preparing them to be receptive so that we'll see a fruitful response. Paul and his companions carry on. It appears that the band of merry men here now includes Luke, the writer of this very account. We note a change of pronoun in verse 10, talking, goes from talking about they to talking about we, and so perhaps Luke had joined on. They hop across the Aegean Sea toward Macedonia. They were ultimately just hopping, they felt, to another part of the Greek-speaking ancient world, but ultimately they're hopping to a new continent, the European continent. You'll see in verse 12 that they land in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. Philippi was a little Rome, if you will. It was a little outpost of the Roman way. Roman law and government guided the affairs of the city. Veterans of the Roman army would have been settled there. So for the empire, this was a strategic city. But it seems that diaspora Judaism hadn't taken off there, hadn't taken root. As we see at various points throughout Acts, Paul and his companions often go to the synagogue first thing when they go to a new location. We see this in Acts 13, Acts 17. They knew that they would find a gathering there. Paul knew that because of his credentials, he might be actually invited to speak, to share. But it appears there's no such synagogue in Philippi. At this time, the minimum number to establish a synagogue was just 10 Jewish men. But it seems that the Jewish population in Philippi wasn't even large enough to support that. So Paul and his friends, they either asked around in town about a a place of Jewish worship. And maybe they were told, go to the river. Or maybe Paul and his friends just knew by experience that a place by the river would be a common gathering point for God-fearers on the Sabbath. Whether Jews or Gentiles living abroad. Look at verse 14 where we meet Lydia. And what does the text describe her as? The text describes her as a dealer in purple cloth who came from the city of Tyatira. And what's interesting is Tyatira was in the region of Asia Minor, essentially the exact same region that Paul and his companions had been prevented from entering in. So the door there for ministry was closed. But here we see them encountering Lydia as she is working abroad. Lydia's a businesswoman. She traveled, evidently. Perhaps she was going around establishing new businesses. It's very likely that she was quite wealthy. And her business ventures had led her to Philippi. Verse 14 says that she is a worshiper of God. 
Lydia is a worshiper of God. This indicates that Lydia was a Gentile God-fearer. A person who practiced worship of Israel's God, but someone who was not an ethnic Jew. We can only speculate, but maybe she had encountered the synagogue worship in her home city. Maybe she had encountered worshipers of Israel's God, and she was compelled by that. But even on her business trips, she kept the Sabbath. And she sought out a place of prayer as a regular rhythm in her life. And then we have the key phrase. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Another version of the Bible, the ESV, is probably a little bit closer to the Greek where it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so to this divinely appointed moment, God has prepared a divinely appointed person, a receptive person, an interested person, a person who valued Israel's God, a person who appreciated Israel's law, but a person who needed to hear the message that Jesus was the fulfillment of that story that she had embraced. So we have here, picture of God's work in others to make them receptive. How exactly God did that is a mystery to us. Theologians debate these sorts of things. Some theological systems would look at Lydia and say, this is someone predestined by God to saving faith. God had chosen her. Others would say that it was God's prevenient grace that had ordained circumstances leading her to this place. By God's prevenient grace, she encounters worship of Israel's God. By God's prevenient grace, she has this encounter with Paul and his companions who share with her the gospel. This is a mystery. We don't know how God does it, but the point is that he does it. God prepares hearts. Lydia had a starting point. Lydia had an awareness of the story of God's people, however imperfect or incomplete that picture was for her. This day and age, the people that we engage in the ministry of disciple-making may have a very different starting point. Our text tells us that Lydia was receptive to the message. In our own experience, in our own partnership with the Holy Spirit in disciple-making, often our first question is, is this person receptive to me? Do they seem to like to spend time with me? Are they responsive to my communications to them? Uh, Do they welcome you into their home and into their life? As relationship builds, then we ask the question, are they receptive to spiritual conversation, to our testimony of faith, to what we have to say about God's work in our own life? Are they receptive to invitations to study Scripture with you? Are they receptive to invitations to Alpha, 
Where are they at? What's the feel? Do your conversations with them stir something in them? Stir longing or curiosity or hope in them? These are the questions that guide us. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. Some time ago, I had a friend who I would see fairly regularly. And when I bumped into this person, we would always take time to chat and catch up. And as we developed a relationship, I got this sense that certain ministry programs, ministry offerings, opportunities, experiences that I was aware of would be really helpful for this person. And so I invited them to participate. I invited them to consider. I invited them to study scripture with me, but largely I was pointing them towards things that would be helpful for them on their journey. One day I had texted a reminder to this friend about a particular opportunity that was coming up, and that night I ran into them. And without me bringing anything up, this person said, hey, thanks for the invite hey, definitely stay after me with this kind of stuff. That's a green light. That's a go. That's an interest. That's receptivity. I didn't even have to bring it up. And so you better believe that like clockwork, I would get on that text thread and bump little opportunities to this friend as they came up. We're seeing here that God prepares us, God guides us, God positions us, and God is preparing others to send us to. Think again about Lydia. Lydia paid attention. Lydia leans in to Paul as he shares the life-saving message of the gospel with her by the river. She is quickly baptized, and then what do we see? She invites Paul and his friends into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay with me. Her hospitality is a signal of the mighty work of God in her life. As with all of Scripture, we're grateful for this little story of Lydia, this account of Lydia this first European conversion that we're, we know of. And we're reminded here that we're not alone in this great opportunity. This mission of making disciples. We partner with God's Spirit, who is actively positioning us and preparing others. And so what's the take home for us? During this series, you've been hearing us talk about praying for your six. You have little note cards in front of you in the pews. And so we just encourage you to pray for your six. Who are six people in your world, in your front line, in your circle that God is highlighting to you? Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would speak to them. Pray that God would provide for them. How God uses our prayers is a mystery to us, but as we see time and again, God uses us 
uses it to stir us and to stir others. A second take home for us this week is to listen and respond. Paul listened and responded. Lydia listened and responded. Perhaps this week you stay extra open to the fact that God's hand may be in your circumstances, even disappointments, even failures, even in redirection. As you submit to God and embrace your calling and your ministry, he may have words for you, prophetic words for you, important redirection that you get from mentors and friends. He may have a word for you through someone else. He may have a dream for you in which he invites you to next steps and new opportunities. Track those things. Journal those things. See how God is using that. Finally, some of you are here this morning, and you're just exploring. Well, the fact that you're here signals that you're receptive. And so are you willing to respond to God in faith this morning? Are you willing to turn from sin, to receive the forgiveness and love that God has extended to you in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give everything that you know of yourself to everything that you know of God? What are you waiting for? Reach out to God as he reaches down to you and invites you on a journey of a lifetime. However God's Spirit invites us this week, however he guides us to respond to him, we go knowing that he is with us guiding us and preparing others to receive the message. Let us pray. God, thank you that your spirit partners with us, Lord, in this work. Thank you that you are drawing us and all men to yourself as we exalt you. So God, give us great wisdom and discernment, sensitivity to your spirit in the ministry of disciple-making. Help us to embrace your call by your grace, empowered by your spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.